Acts 4, 13 to 22. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men? They asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in his name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. utterly helpless. A situation when circumstances are completely out of your control and you just have to hope that something, anything happens to change those things that you can't do anything about. When we look at the ancient world we easily forget that they lived lives that were largely out of their control. When illness came or difficult times there was often nothing they could do about it. They knew both what hope looked like and what false hope felt like. They were desperate for rescue. When con artists offered healing as they regularly did, they were hopeful but sceptical. And so, when the early Christians started seeing genuine healing happen, everyone took notice. Questions were asked and the evidence was undeniable. People began to see that there really was genuine hope and that God really was at work. We've all got our favourite songs. Uh, one of my favourite songs, written 10 years ago now, uh, was by this man. Uh, he's a singer-songwriter from Northern Ireland, a guy called Foy Vance. Uh, and he wrote a song 10 years ago called Two Shades of Hope, in which he beautifully explores the tension that hope creates. When we long for something to happen, and it doesn't, it sometimes can be even harder because we'd hoped. Here's some of the lyrics that he says in it. Well, some people think their sin caused the cancer that's eating into them. And the only way they can win is by the healing of somebody's hands on their skin and praying. But when the cancer does not go, surely hope dealt the hardest blows. It's a heartfelt cry, isn't it? That sometimes things don't work out the way we hope. 
And when it comes to this whole issue of healing that we're thinking about for a few minutes now, this is an extraordinarily painful and real issue for many of us. I know that in this room right now, there are people who have prayed for healing, either for themselves or for those they love, for years, for decades even some. Longing that God would heal and hope so far has dealt the hardest blows. But at the same time, there are also people in Riverside who have been dramatically healed. And some just more normally healed. And of course, there are also people right now in this room praying that hope would be so real for them that God would heal. And so as we continue our series looking at the early Christians from the book of Acts, our cry throughout these weeks is, Lord, do it again. And we've called it again this series. And in the same way that those T-sheds on the videos that we've made are kind of reminding us of a past, our prayer is, Lord, do it again. And as we think about healing, would that be our prayer this morning? Lord, do it again. And so we're going to ask a really important question this morning, and it's this. Does God heal today? But before we get to that question, there's another important question that needs to be asked before we get to that one, and it's this one. Did God heal then? Because many of us, if we are really honest in our society, particularly here in the West, we kind of look back to the ancient world... And if we dare admit it, we've got a sort of patronizing view a little bit of what they knew back then. We easily think they didn't really understand the way our bodies work like we do now. The way we understand medicine now. And so they might have thought that these were miracles, but we now know, don't we? And if we really admit it, we also might have the same view about other places around the world right now. That us, the sophisticated ones in the West, we know everything. But back then or in other places, well, it, you know, it didn't really be like that, did it? But when we look at the Bible passage, the scriptures show us something remarkable. Let me read again. When they saw the courage of Peter and John. Because Peter and John have just prayed, basically, a guy has been healed in front of them. Hadn't been able to walk since birth. And they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished. These were just men of the street. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who'd been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. They couldn't deny what was right in front of their faces. The guy who chapter 3 tells us had been at the temple every day. They all knew this man was right there in front of them, which is why they have this quandary because the religious leaders don't like what's happening. They don't like this new fledgling movement talking about Jesus. They want to stop it, but their quandary is, what are we going to do with these men? Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they've performed a notable sign and we cannot deny it. If there was a glimmer of doubt that this hadn't actually happened, the early church would never have taken off. 
The truth is, everyone had seen what had happened in Jerusalem. That's the point. And so all the religious leaders who can't stand this have to do is to try and squash it. So what do they do, verse 17? To stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must mourn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. They can't deny what has happened, so the only way to stop it is to just stop them speaking about it. Because we can't deny what's obvious in front of our faces. This guy had been miraculously healed. And so Peter and John simply respond to their threats. And they can't decide what to do. And so what do they do? They just let them go. Because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was shock horror. Over 40 years old. How old is that? Do you get what's being said here by the writer Luke who wrote this all those many years ago? What has happened is so big and so remarkable, it's worth remarking about, that they can't deny it. So they just try to stop the news about it. That's the point. It is remarkable and it was remarkable then. And so to make this point, the end of the passage makes it really clear. People praise God for what had happened. It seems to me that regardless of whether you're out, whether you call yourself a follower of Jesus, whether you've read the Bible before or not, whether coming to church is a familiar thing or not, it seems to me that the early church grew in the face of massive pressure to shut them down and the only reason they got traction is because people couldn't deny what was happening. Loads of people claimed to be miracle healers. Loads of people claimed they had magic powers from the divine. But here in front of them, genuine transformation was happening. And the only way to deal with it is to try to stop them speaking about it because they can't deny what happened. It seems to me the most reasonable thing to conclude is this. Remarkable things were happening. And so if God did big things then, if he healed in a miraculous way then, that does lead us to this really big question for us today. Does God heal now? And instead of hearing from just me, uh, I thought it would be helpful to get the perspective of someone who's a doctor. Uh, so we've got so many people in Riverside who are in the healthcare profession. And I wanted us to just give them a big round of applause. There's loads of people here. Let's give them a big cheer. Big round of applause. <laughs> On behalf of so many hundreds of thousands of people in our city, thank you. You are making a supreme difference in the lives of people at their most desperate moments. So thank you. We're a joy to have the many in part of our church family. And so uh, when I was preparing for this, I did a FaceTime call with Dr. James Tomlinson, who's not in the room right now. So we're going to watch a little Skype call with him, a FaceTime call with him. Uh, hear his words as both a doctor and a Christian on this whole issue of healing. Let's watch this video together. Let's watch it. So James, you've been a GP for 16 years, uh, and in every respect you're in the business of helping people get better, and you're both a Christian and a doctor. Uh, so the question for you is, do you think that God still heals today? 
So I think there's a, a simple short answer to that, and the answer is yes, uh, I do. Um, the Bible tells us that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so if God uh, healed in the Old Testament and the New Testament, um, can he heal now? And the answer is simply yes. But it also leads me on to think, well, what do we mean by the question, can God heal today? Um, what do we mean by healing? Very often when the word healing is used by, by Christians, they're thinking of the miraculous, the out of the ordinary, the kind of unnatural um, uh, healings. And do I think God can do that? Yes, I do. But I also think there is a concept of healing that the Bible teaches us about, which is bigger than that. Um, in Psalm 103, verse 2 and 3, uh, it says, Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. And so the Bible is telling us that actually God is the one who heals all our diseases. And so some healing, yes, maybe through the unnatural, the miraculous, but actually um, healing even in the Old Testament and New Testament would have been through the body's immune system working and fighting infection, um, healing a cut, for example. So the, the way we have been designed, the way we've been made by God, uh, we have the capacity to be healed, and that is part of God healing. Um, and through the work of a surgeon, um, uh, uh, through the skill of, of the use of counselling or the use of, of medicine uh, and tablets, again, God heals. Um, so, so actually, God heals both in that understanding of the word healing, but he also, yes, can he still heal through the miraculous and unexplained and unexpected, yes. So therefore, do you think that God still does sort of, as it were, miraculous healings then today? Yes. Yeah, I think it does. Uh, and I think, um, I think often God heals as a, as a sign, a sign of his kingdom, as a way of helping people to see who, who he is. Um, and I think God still very much does that today. I, I think perhaps he does that or seems to do that more where there's a hunger for that and also perhaps where um, there aren't other ways of, of that happening. But, but I think we definitely do see God stepping in in the most remarkable way. And I can certainly think of examples where I've seen things that medically don't make sense to me yeah. in that uh, I can think of people, particularly with terminal illness, where... Uh, you would very much expect their device to be pretty quick. Uh, and I can think of uh, a friend of mine who, uh, at the age of in her mid-30s, was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer with uh, obstruction, jaundice, uh, and so it was bright yellow, very itchy. Uh, and uh, as a doctor, I knew that her, the expectation would be that she probably had about four to six weeks from the point of diagnosis to, to her death. The reality is that she survived two years uh, and remained jaundiced for two years and with itching. And God sustained her remarkably through that period uh, and, and used her to tell other people uh, about, about him. And so medically, I can't, that doesn't make sense. Med did he heal her in the sense that did she still ultimately die of pancreatic cancer? Yes, she did. But actually, he sustained her in a way that was much far beyond what I would have expected. And also gave her the grace to cope with that illness as she, as she walked through that. And ultimately, did he heal her? Well, absolutely, because the Bible tells me that actually when she died, she got a brand new body. Uh, she's in a place without any pain. She's in a place without any tears. 
And so uh, uh, very much, yes, she has been healed. So uh, healing is quite a mystery, I think. Uh, and sometimes what we call healing and the way we use the word the words about healing perhaps needs a little bit more careful use. And sometimes what we claim as, as healing perhaps isn't. Um, but that doesn't mean that God can't still do the, uh, the remarkable, uh, the unexpected. And certainly we're told to pray for that. Um, and I, would, I certainly would continue to pray for the remarkable of the healing uh, in, people, in different situations in people's lives, even if I may not always see that happen. That's the final question then, James. I, I imagine, um, and this may have happened, I don't know, that somebody says to you that they're really believing that God will heal them. Um, how do you approach that, both as a Christian and as a doctor, when somebody's convinced utterly that God's going to heal them? So uh, I suppose that question can happen in two settings. It can happen to me in the professional setting, yeah. uh, where I, I am being a doctor, known as a doctor, and it has happened. It can also be asked in, in a setting where I'm known primarily as a Christian, for example, in church. But it has happened to me, actually, in my professional setting, that I uh, was uh, a junior doctor, and my, on that particular day, I was uh, meeting with a patient to unfortunately confirm uh, the bad news that he had a, a cancer diagnosis and that it was already at a stage where uh, it was what we call palliative treatment, so not curative. Um, and I know I knew the patient already and knew that actually he had become a Christian. Um, and his response when I broke the news uh, in the presence of uh, a palliative care nurse was immediately to make the statement that God will heal me, won't he, doctor? And I immediately had a, a, a genuine dilemma, which was that I, I, I didn't want to simply say yes, and I didn't want to simply say no. I didn't want to squash um, the faith and hope of a young Christian, nor did I want to, um, to unrealistically and unreasonably uh, place an expectation that God was going to do something that he might not do. Um, also, I was in the presence of a non-Christian colleague who didn't know I was a Christian, who would have had her own feelings about how to respond to that question. Uh, in the event, what I did is I said that I felt that God could heal him, but that did not mean that God would heal him, and that it was good to trust God and to pray for healing, but to also know that he, that the answer to that prayer may not be in through the removal of the cancer, but it may be in uh, God sustaining him through that cancer and giving him the grace to face that cancer, but also that healing in its fullest sense um, would mean that he would have a new body uh, and would be in a place in, in heaven in, in the end. Um, so, so I think for him, um, it was, it was a tricky situation, but that was the answer I gave, and I think I would give the same answer actually uh, today. It's trying to hold that tension uh, and, and say, yes, God can heal, and, and certainly to pray for healing, but also to hold the tension between the fact that, that while that is our hope, that is not what always our experience. Uh, and at the end of the day, I'm, I'm encouraged actually that every person that Jesus healed actually died. I'm encouraged by that because it reminds me that, not first of all, not everyone is healed. There will be people in the crowds that he didn't heal, 
but also that every person that he did heal, ultimately, yes, they died, but that doesn't mean that, that God doesn't heal. It means that, that healing is a sign of God's kingdom and that it's, that it's not all about healing. It's about actually that God is the one that saves. Wise words from Dr. James Tomlinson. Seems to me there's one little word that both James used and the passage uses that is really important. In verse 16 of the passage, as the religious leaders are trying to work out what they do with this, there's an interesting phrase. Let me put it to you. What are we going to do with these men, they ask? Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they've performed a notable sign. That little word is so important. The healing is not an end in itself. It points to something. It's a sign. When we think of road signs, the signs themselves aren't important. What they point to is important. I love this road sign. Is there any other gunfire than sudden gunfire? Expected gunfire. This miraculous healing is not the point. It is a sign that points to something else. The obvious question is, what does it point to? Unfortunately, Peter tells us, because in chapter 3, after this amazing miracle has taken place, we read these words. When Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we'd made this man walk? So this amazing thing is nothing to do with Peter or John. It's not because they had the particular technique. Just using the right magical words, boom, guaranteed healing. It's also not because of the man's sin or anything like that. No, there's something else going on. Peter goes on, verse 16. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It's Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that's completely healed him, as you can all see. Do you notice the emphasis? It is faith in Jesus' name. Now, it's important for us to understand what that means. It doesn't mean the actual word, the name, my name's Tim, but in that culture, and still in many places around the world, maybe even in here, names were given because of what they represented. My name, Timothy, means honoring God. It'd be interesting if you know what your name means. But in those days, in the ancient world, your name was, if you like, a summary, a snapshot of all that you are. So by saying faith in the name of Jesus, it means in who Jesus is. Not just the kind of five digits, J-E-S-U-S, or the ancient equivalent. And you notice something else about the faith. It comes through Jesus, not in Jesus. It's something that's tied up with him. It's not that they, Peter and John, had got enough confidence that they'd worked themselves up to, to dare not doubt. No, the faith, the very faith came through Jesus. It's all about 
him. God has stepped in. Hope is here. That's the good news. And so to help us unpack this a bit, we need to go back a few chapters to the very beginning of the book of Acts. Right at the very beginning, the first few words of Luke's letter, we read these words. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. Key word there is began. So Luke, the guy who wrote this, his first book was Luke's, what we have is Luke's gospel. That's part one, Godfather part one. Then Acts is like the sequel, Godfather part two. Slightly happier than Godfather, you know what I mean. So this is the sequel. Luke's saying, in my first book, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do. And what's the implication now? This book is all about what Jesus still does. He continues to do. And so they ask him about this new era that they're in, this new kingdom. And this is what they ask him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father set by his own authority, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will be my witnesses, and so on. And so Pentecost happened, the Holy Spirit comes, the church is birthed, all kicks off, and then amazing things happen. But a few verses after this verse, we read these words. Because Jesus goes back, ascends to be with his father. And then these messengers appear, men of Galilee, talking to the disciples. They said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. Jesus is coming back, they say. And so what the writer of Acts is saying is really clear. Things are different now. Jesus began to do amazing things and still does do amazing things. What Jesus started then carries on now and there will be a day when Jesus will then come back. So what does this mean for us today with this whole question of healing? Well, I think you can sum it up by a little diagram we're going to put on the screen. Here it is. The Bible talks about kind of this world, and it sometimes refers to it as this present age, beginning at creation and going right through. Sometimes it calls it this present evil age because we all know God created the world amazing and then humans turn against God. And what happens when we turn against the one who gives life? We turn our backs on the one in whom is life. Well, of course, death enters the picture, doesn't it? And we've got all this bleakness and blackness and darkness and sin and brokenness and illness and fractured relationships and self-focused stuff. This present age is a mixture of beauty and brokenness. And so, Jesus steps into this world. Come declaring that the kingdom of God has now come. And did amazing things. Healing. Giving hope to the most broken. And then ultimately dying on a cross offering forgiveness for all. And then not only that, what happened? Beats death. What we celebrate at Easter fractures and destroys the very thing that entered the world. Wow. And then one day, we'll return. The king in his kingdom. 
when truth and peace and hope and life and joy. And many of us get bothered by the phrase, the kingdom of God. But if you can imagine the best country in the world, talking about nations a lot at the moment, but imagine if you could, your ideal country, what would it be like? And who would be the rulers? What would they do? The kingdom of God is a million times better than that. And so Jesus brings in this kingdom of God which will last for all eternity. And so there's this era now where Jesus has begun to do amazing things. And we therefore should expect to see dramatic things happening. This time now is where Jesus has broken in and all that he began carries on. And yet, we don't yet see as it one day will be because we still live in this present age too, this sort of merged time. And you may know that Christians throughout history have fought wars and denominations have been fought about, therefore, what should we expect to see now, which is where this phrase comes from. The now but not yet. And regardless of where you're at with that, what is really clear in the pages of the Bible and throughout church history is that God does amazing things now, but this is not yet what it one day will be. God has broken in, and yet there is still sin, darkness, sickness, fractured relationships. Now, but not yet. And so, as we begin to come into land, what does this mean for us with our big question about, does God heal today? What this points to is the answer, as James said on that video, yes, he does heal today. And therefore, we expect God to heal. We pray for God to heal. We look forward to God healing, but also we realize that this is not yet one day what it will be. Because if it's a sign, it's pointing to that kingdom that one day in all its fullness we will experience. And so the healing is not the most important thing. Have you ever noticed that when Jesus healed people, there was always something else going on? Some people who didn't get it. He may have enabled people to see, but there were clearly others around who clearly couldn't see what was going on. And I think that's the point that Jesus' kingdom is much bigger than just the kind of healing that we long for. And I had this illustrated to me um, by one person's experience with their own complex disability. And somebody offering to pray for them for healing. Let me read his words to us about a particular service where he'd gone to with his disability. And this service was one in which people were invited to be prayed for for healing. He says this. At the end of the service, we were wheeling out, and a man stopped us to introduce himself and welcome us, which was wonderful. He then did something that made me cringe. He reached out, put his hand on my head, and began praying. What for? He didn't know what my needs were. He could assume that I didn't particularly like being in a wheelchair, but was he just assuming I wanted prayer for that? 
I was offended that out of the hundreds of people in that room, many of whom were in desperate need of God's provision, this man scanned the room and saw me as the most needy. I have a lot of needs that are on display for all to see, but I also have needs that nobody except God knows about. Moreover, some people who appear to have no obvious needs have needs so great that they dwarf the ones of mine that people can see and can't see. Do you see? And if I can be very personal for a moment, I've experienced the same. Uh, Many of you will know uh, we have twin boys, one of whom has very, very complex disabilities. And every now and again, people have offered to pray for healing for Caleb. Uh, And I love the heart behind it. But if I'm honest, I, I, I often have a question, well, what do you mean? What are you really praying, wanting to pray for? Are you wanting to pray that he can walk like we can? Are you wanting to pray that he can see like we can? Because actually, who he is is so tied up with his disabilities that actually to be healed, quotes from those disabilities, would change who he is. And actually, there's some things that because of who he is mean that we need to learn from. We were at a friend's uh, house from friends in Riverside uh, where we had said that um, Caleb can't vocalize, so he can't speak, but he can make noises. And whenever you say to Caleb, Caleb, would you pray? He always vocalizes. And we were at some house uh, house of some people in Riverside, uh, and he actually said, would Caleb pray for me? We had this beautiful God moment where in the stillness we asked Caleb to pray and he just vocalized and, uh, and the tears. And I think maybe we can learn from that simplicity. And so when we ask for healing, we don't look to see what is obvious. Actually, maybe God's doing something way bigger. Perhaps there are things that Caleb can do now that we need to learn from. And friends, with all that, there's something even greater, even bigger than that that we've already hinted at, and that's this. Right at the end of the Bible, we read some dramatic words, beautiful words that change everything for all of us. Here they are. They will be his people as this vision looks forward to that day. And God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Friends, there will be one day where our son will dance. Where he'll be able to see. But the same is true for all of us. It's not that he has greater needs. Or those needs of those that we know of are particularly greater. There will be a day for all of us of no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. Full stop. That's good news, friends. That's good news. And so we could approach this question with real humility. Jesus is the healer. He may choose to heal in dramatic ways now, and we are going to pray for it. Lord, please have mercy. 
But also when God doesn't do that, we may have questions as why not us and why them? Don't know. But what we can know, he's the one who heals and so we can be free. It's not that we haven't prayed in the right way. But also all of that we can then point forward to one day. One day. Yes, we pray for healing, we expect it, we long for it. But we also rest, knowing that ultimately Jesus beat death. So my aim this morning as we come to a close, we're going to respond and there's going to be an opportunity for us to receive prayer. It's for those of us who, if we're honest, are a little bit skeptical to stir our faith a bit, that maybe, maybe we might say, Lord, please heal. For those of us who have prayed for years and decades, to set us free to realize it's not about us. Be free. And so this morning you can simply come and say, please, Lord, please do something remarkable. And for all of us to encourage us to keep on going. Because there will be a day with no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. For the old order of things has passed away. Which is why, no wonder, some of the very last words of the Bible are what? Come Lord Jesus.